Hi, Jason. This is Mike Marcel with Orange Property Management in Fargo, North Dakota. Is that what you're under now? Because you got your hand in so many different pies and, you know, you're just an entrepreneur. You also do some nonprofit work for a number of years. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So kind of the umbrella is called Orange Properties, but we operate in three segments. We have uh, the real estate and management side of the, the business. We also have a, a marketing side and a hospitality side of our business. And we also have an asset management side of the business. Um, the nonprofit stuff is obviously where my, my heart lives, and I wish I had a lot more time to do it. Um, but, you know, I've dedicated a little bit of time through this crisis to do more research and a little bit more uh, public informational sharing. And that's kind of where I've directed that part of my life recently. Well, you're um, like many other entrepreneurs where you, your attention is needed in the business right now because if the business ain't around, you ain't going to be able to give any attention or money or resources or time to the nonprofits. So, yeah, and, it's, and, and I'll tell you, it's a mixed picture out there. I mean, obviously, I'm in most of the impacted areas. Obviously, you know, hospitality, we, we operate Airbnbs and, uh, and apartments in Western North Dakota. So, you know, I have a, a fairly good insight in terms of like, impact um how we've gotten through it um and that's why i produced some of the videos i did just in terms of some of that programming really did help a lot it's just i don't think a lot of people are understanding um kind of the ancillary impacts and some of the ways that the dollars flow through that could probably help more people and not maybe just companies but kind of the everyday individual citizen of the state so before we get into that, I just want to take one more step back to give the listeners a little bit of context about your background. And, you know, you, you were out in Silicon Valley, kind of in that in that startup phase uh, in California back in the 90s. Late 90s. If, if, yep, if, my, right. if my memory serves me correctly. Yep, late 90s. So wow. you were a part of that craze. And then, I mean, you were also one of the ones that were brought in, in a, as a council member or on a leadership team to try to bring people back to North Dakota. Does that sound right? Yeah. So what happened, and this is where I first met uh, Governor Hoven at the time when he was first elected. And I was living in North Dakota and um, they were doing a lot of events there. And I was, you know, obviously, act, you know, excited about North Dakota and so at one point they created this goofy kind of like ambassador of North Dakota position. And so they invited me to be a part of that. That kind of morphed into me working with the Department of Commerce on recruiting companies from various states to recruit them to relocate to North Dakota, which we were successful in doing with uh, four or five companies. One of the companies out of Pittsburgh was a small software company. And the CEO said, there's no way I'm going to North Dakota. So if I'm going to relocate, you have to go there. And so I ended up setting up that facility in Beulah, North Dakota. And that's actually what kicked off my, you know, kind of moving back to the state. And uh, from there, once I moved back, I just, I worked in the private industry, but I still did a lot of public-private partnerships. We built buildings in Williston, the first apartments that were ever built there. Uh, we built buildings in Valley City. We did an economic, you know, really an economic development remodel of Jamestown, downtown. So there was a lot of um, connectivity um, between Commerce, uh, the governor's office, the Bank of North Dakota, and those local community economic developers. So I, I enjoy that a lot. It's, uh, it's like a barn raising experience in North Dakota, or at least back then, it required a lot of different participants and constituents to, to get a project to work, especially in a rural area. 
So during this the last year, I guess, you know, I and you don't have to give me your portfolio or your balance sheet or anything, but you know, you've got your hands in some different areas. You know, we were texting earlier. You mentioned uh, your restaurant Maxwell's that you you've got a partnership in. So well, I I did, yeah, you I, did. That's okay, been, that's, okay, that's been turned over. You know that that changed ownership uh, years ago. I do work with them as a, kind of an entrepreneurial coach. Um, I see. Okay. I've got a little bit of a note left there, but it's, um, I do that as a, because the two guys are good friends and, and we help them. So I, I do help them a little bit on that, okay, front, but that, I'm not actively involved at all. In okay. That's what I was wondering is, and then, you yep. know, you've had some stuff in Arizona in the past and a few other places are the, the bigger question I was getting at is that are most of your holdings now in North Dakota with, you know, the oil patch and in, in the Fargo Moorhead area, that sort of thing, or do you still kind of have a, some, some interests in different states and that sort of thing. Yeah, we, we operate a water company down in Arizona. And actually, that was a really amazing partnership we did with the village where, where I donated a parcel of land to the village that actually we just sold a piece this week. It's going to bring a fairly uh, large amount of money to their endowment, which just I'm thrilled about it. It's actually I have to put a bunch of work into helping them, but it's fine. And uh, we, we retained um, kind of a, the water operations to support building the value of, um, so I still kind of am involved there. Um, we've gotten into a new segment, which is really kind of the, uh, the service. This is interesting with COVID with people not staying in hotels. We developed, we were doing this about three years ago. We're working with companies on kind of like serviced furnished residences that were like homes. And we, we hit that market before COVID. That's been actually one of our better segments. Uh, and that's, in places like Deep River Falls, and right now I think we're working on Project Wheat in Minnesota and and Fargo and Castleton and all over. But right now we're really focused on traveling nurses, and and we've got a backlog of nurses. We can't find enough housing, so this week we're really uh, focused on that. Um, Western North Dakota, we do still manage quite a, a few units uh, in Watford, Williston. I don't own uh, really anything out there anymore. Um, but I'm actively involved in third-party management. I work actually for other management companies out there as well. So we do have a fairly good insight to what's going on out there, which is not great. And um, so, yeah. It's just, which uh, is not great. <laughs> which is not great. Uh, and I, I wish I could tell you there were silver linings. I, well, no, there, there, there is a lot of truth in that because, you know, you mentioned that you, you know, you were very involved in Williston. In fact, you had the first pr- public-private partnership, I think is what you mentioned with the housing industry there. Yeah, we built the first uh, new apartments in 30 years there, yeah. Right. So, okay, there, there, there we go. There's a great example of, you know, you saw how closely tied the oil and gas industry is to Williston. So, you yeah, know, and we only had to do it just as uh, anecdotally because I really got beat up in the media on that whole deal. Um, I got but, beat up. Oh, man, we're looking at our salt wounds now. <laughs> but the thing is that we, it only took one public-private partnership to kick off the appraisal comps. From there on, the state and the communities really didn't have to get involved until we got into the big infrastructure needs. But uh, back then, they just didn't have comparable appraisals. So commercial guys couldn't even get in there and do anything. So once those comps hit in 08 and 09, that's what really kicked off the boom. But without that public-private partnership, it's kind of like the ice cream cone with NASA, right? Uh, without that, um, that that initial one partnership to kick it off, it, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have gone. Oh, and, uh, my, yeah, Mike, you're an early adapter, and early adapters always take the beating. 
And then, the, you know, the, the establishment comes in and laps it up usually and that sort of thing. And that's actually one of the reasons why we brought you on here today, because, you know, you know, Williston, they're going to get hit hard because their their industry is very tied to it. I think I saw over 30 percent is Minot is only like 8 percent because they got the Air Force base. Dickinson, I saw 22 percent. You know, Watford City is pretty tied to it, that sort of thing, too. So when you take a look at this COVID money that's coming into the state and how they're distributed. Fargo, of course, is where the population is and really kind of controls the, the the voting power of the state. And they've got a big water dam project diversion they want to do and five or six engineering companies lined up with new projects that they want to do with water here and there and everything. So you've looked into this, this, this millions and billions of dollars that North Dakota not only got, but is getting so well, okay, so let's, let's, let's talk about that. Up. Yeah, let's just back that up for a second. So the way that it works federally with any of this stuff is that there's a state minimum. And when the COVID crisis hit, the state minimums was $1.25 That went to 20 states. Now, to give you a comparison, we got the exact same amount of money as Nevada did and as Arkansas did. Now, they have three times the, you know, actually five times the population, but that state minimum was $1.25 billion. So the small states always typically, in any kind of a big program, will, will disproportionately advantage just because of the population versus the, the, the minimum formula. Now, I went through and read the entire bill. I spent 40 hours on it. It took five days and <laughs> and we've got a very smart congressional delegation let me just tell you that because there are line items in there that are absolutely for north dakota and there's a lot of them and so those are not just part of the formula those are part of like special sort of what we would call earmarks or you know special allocations and um and that's more part of the bigger bill like the regular budget it wasn't part of the supplemental for the covid i'm calling it the covid too but realistically the way i read it and i might be completely off base but i think there's more money in this bill than last time uh when you factor in the health and human services and the school funding that they're they're proposing um there probably less money for ppp just because you're not going to get as big of a participation in that or idle um the direct payments is an interesting one because it's 600 it's it's a lot. It's 355 million direct to people, but at 2,000, you're at a billion three. So, I mean, that's an astronomically large amount of money for a little state with 760,000 people. Um, so, um, so if you look at the transparency on it, OMB does publish, although it's a little glitchy. But on the OMB website, there is a transparency tab. I'd recommend anybody that hasn't been on it. It's a really great tab. Um, it'll say Office of Management and Budget. Yep, 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 North Dakota Office of Budget Management, and there's a transparency tab. Uh, I, I, that's a lot of the information's there, but really they're reporting about one, about a billion dollars. There's 250 million that came in, but it's I don't know if it was necessarily reported. It might have been I don't know agency to agency. Who knows? Um, but what's happening in today's world? It's really tough, is because you know you have guys like you out there that are that are dedicated to reporting news, but there's no money in that business anymore. There's, there's no huge newsrooms. There's, there's a lot of, uh, self publishing and, 
and 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 if you're not gathering a bunch of eyeballs, it's you know doing the long segment reporting on budget stuff is not exactly Trump tweeting something, you know. So so my concern has just been just just transparency and 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 not even transparency, but just communicating. I was going to ask, how's the accessibility? I've I've found that in North Dakota, especially trying to get somebody from the government to return an email or a phone call is it's like a rare albino elk sighting. It just doesn't happen. It used to be okay when we had people working in the offices. What I've found is that when people have been working remotely, it's been really, really tough uh, to get a hold of uh people and i will say this uh you know commerce has been really good about getting back with me and um actually on housing and finance uh jason's been really good uh about being real you know real communicative but some of the other folks it's just it's kind of tough I, I don't know why that is um you know it's just it doesn't it seems like there should be more accessibility not probably not less but um yeah i know i know it's uh it's frustrating uh, especially with you know, when I'm getting colleagues and school board members and people saying, so how, how is this going to work? And I'm like, hey, look, that's like, seriously, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just a private citizen doing the research here, you know. So I think it's, uh, I, it's just there's no real good way in today's world to get a lot of this information out. Uh, there's a lot of information. It's kind of like information overload. And so how do we pick the relevant things? Uh, because like in that bill, I mean, you've got 30 different areas of funding coming into the state. I mean, there's lots of constituents like private schools have a funding source in that bill, which they've never had before, but we haven't even had any reporting. on. Like there's zero reporting on that. How much is Shanley supposed to get for that? Like I've got friends and family members that go to Shanley, right? So I have no idea. I don't even know what they can use the funds for. Um, I got, I I got two questions, questions. I guess, two questions. Um, one would be, do you know, like, you know, the kind of the, the energy industry and, you know, what, what is kind of allocated towards that, you know, in the last one, you just said a four letter word there, dude. What's that? You just said energy. (laughs) Oh, right. Isn't that the truth? People people don't understand that. People do not understand that. In fact, you'll get a kick out of this. I don't know if you're still single or not, but I am, and I'm on the dating app. Listen, I wouldn't date me, and I certainly wouldn't marry me. Right. Well, I've never been married. There's a lot of reasons for that. And I'm on these dating apps now, and there's girls now that flat out say, if you work in oil and gas, swipe right or swipe left or whatever. (laughs) It used to be if you're a Trump supporter, now it's oil and gas. I'm not kidding you. I saw yeah, that. No, I, I started I, I, seeing that in the last few months, and I just went, oh, my word. You're kidding me. This has yeah. gotten ridiculous. So anyway, just to, before we get into that whole sidebar, yeah. um, just well, you know, I, what, I, what, I, what I, you I, might I, bullet point for people listening out there in oil and gas. And then my second concern, and we'll get to that after the oil and gas talk, but I got to be honest, I've got a lot of concerns about the amount of money that these states are getting in because- I've seen what happens to ag. I saw what happened to ag when they started accepting money from the government. They all they all went out of business, except for about three except for three or four different ag companies. So my next question is: Is that North Dakota was known for a long time for getting a buck eighty or two bucks back for every dollar they put into the federal government? Is that the case on this? Are we turning? Well, I think I think 
just if you just do the simple math on the minimum allocation, absolutely. But uh, just backing up to your question yeah. on oil and gas specifically, industry support, I, I I think they were smart enough, and our and not just our delegation, the Texas delegation, obviously as well, um, in terms of just making it industry agnostic a bit, you know, and and we got a little hell, you know, when they did, you know, sort of like the programs that they did at the state level. But again, where there's lack of media and transparency, it cuts both ways, meaning if they're not reporting some things, some of the money that might be going to the oil and gas industry, which might be helpful, isn't exactly getting attacked. So, you know, again, there's kind of two sides to every story. Um, when you're looking at it as unemployment benefit or, um, how, you know, rental assistance, which is a huge need right now in Western North Dakota, um, that's sort of energy agnostic. It's it's not going to be industry specific. And so... Um, no, I'm following you. I'm following you. Yeah, it's kind of like and, the old tobacco companies, you know, like when they went through all their negative branding and then they're... Well, and, and, and too, yeah. you know, you remember when the oil companies kind of got taken to task because they were they were taking CARES Act money and putting it towards away from kids to oil companies and that sort of thing. And, you know, and, and the matter of fact is, is that such a large percentage of the state budget is tied to the oil and gas industry is the reason why they were doing that. And that actually is the story. That is the story. And that, that never got talked about once. Instead, the low hanging fruit is just blame oil and gas. That's how I well, look at it. Well, I, I got to disagree with you a little okay. bit on that. Uh, if you back that up and you look at when that support came, it was late in the cycle on this first COVID thing, meaning they'd gotten through the resiliency grants, they'd gotten through PPP and idle and everything. The, the truth is the, the state of North Dakota had money left over and they were desperately trying to figure out how to get that money out before the end of the year, because remember everything expired December 31st. So they were really, there, there were programs that, that didn't, fully allocate, like meaning the dollars didn't all go out. And that, you know, to a North Dakota, and that'd be like Charleston Heston with his gun, you know, out of my, my right. hands, am I going to send federal money back to the federal government? So they were looking for um, what was permissible under the rules of CARES Act. This is prior to the current legislation. They were doing the best they could. They didn't want to do something that was going to jeopardize clawbacks from North Dakota to the federal government, especially going into an election year. Now, a lot of that, as I said, has been clarified. Uh, some of that money has been rolled over into like a four-year plan where it, they don't have to give it back. It's just, it's it's an allocation. I don't know how that's going to impact the allocations this time. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't get the sense they're, they're not well-intentioned. It's just like so much hit those guys so fast. And as we know, government's not a private industry. I mean, private you know, entrepreneurs like me or you or others, we're kind of fast on our feet and, and government is never designed to work that way purposely. So, uh, you know, I, I can't, I mean, who am I to criticize? I mean, I, I have no standing to do that. I'm just, I'm just dissecting kind of what happened and then maybe what's going to happen in this, this next, uh, go around. So let's talk about that a little bit. What are you seeing? What are the bullet points? What did you take away from some of the different, uh, uh, well, how many pages was it? 5,000? Well, okay, yeah. I mean, that, that wasn't the, uh, that was the whole budget. Okay. The, well, you've done two videos, and, and we've got our videos, yeah. the, the videos at thecrudelife.com, which if somebody wants to check out, but you've done a couple of videos now kind of, you know, d- d- dissecting and delineating, if you will, the, the the different aspects of it. So, just bullet point a few that yeah, yeah, I've stand done it. out. I've got, 
kind of in, I've got them kind of in front of me. So, okay. you know, the, the stuff that I would say are really high, big impact areas, obviously, the, and what I'm not making a judgment call on it, but the direct egg payment per acre, it's kind of a big deal. Uh, you know, that, that was something that was interesting. I don't understand it because I'm not in egg, but um, it looks like some of the stuff in this bill is incremental to the current programming. Again, I can't give you a, an exact number on that, but it would look disproportionately favorable to a state like North Dakota. Um, the school funding piece, again, this could be a, a, a huge pot of money. I mean, I'm I'm just looking at it on a on a pro rata from population. I'm not even looking at it on the formula, but you know, I, I was going to say, already I'm reading between the lines, and kind of what you're saying is that North Dakota did really well. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know over 200 million at least for that there's a child care grant for head start uh there's there's child care grants of over 250 million dollars now i don't know how they i mean i don't know that we have that many daycares in this state but that's a whole lot of you know funding can they shift some of that you know what are the rules on that how just how much discretion do they have on that um that's what concerns me it certainly seems like they they've already picked where the money is going to go, and well, so all no, the other daycares, I guess you got to go out of business and go work for I Head Start. I don't know that they have because this is so new that when I talked to Commerce yesterday, they literally were are are getting seeking input because they're they're saying, hey, we got to get four or five different things out here. My recommendation to to my recommendation to them was, um, a it should be broad based and everybody should be able to participate. I I think it gets really discouraging when you've got you're picking winners and losers and you're saying that industry is is vital this industry is not um i have like like i have a healthcare worker she works at the va and she's an amazing woman one of my best friends and she got no help you know here's this woman working 80 hours a week and put her health at risk and 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 there's no nothing on the individual level part of that is we, we can't do things constitutionally in north dakota uh, individually, we have to do it through entities, but that might be a conversation. I'm going to say something that every, you know, every legislator will come and shoot me for, but there might need to be an initiated measure at some point, allowing the legislature to directly pay people in the state. And I'm not talking about from the legacy, but I'm talking things like utility rebates or, or things that would be programming like this, where it's designed to get to the individual person. We saw that with West Fargo today, trying to give you know twenty five dollar gift cards, do something, you know, and so I, I constitutionally, uh, North Dakota is barred from giving any kind of direct payment to a person, but they can give my company money, and I think that that is a little bit of a, uh, I don't know if that's super fair, and uh, might be. I guess I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I always knew that the reason that they never gave payments for oil like Alaska was because, you know, 93 to 97% of the state is privately owned. So no, that's not it. It's, it's, there's, I will have to go and do the research on it, but I think there's something in North Dakota constitution says the North Dakota government cannot make a direct payment to an individual. I think you're right on that. Now that my, you know, my memory goes a little bit back in the the college days of some certain things. I think just to give you an idea of the Alaska trust fund, just because I have done a lot of this research, that's a sixty-four billion dollar fund that was established in seventy seventy-nine. Yeah. Okay, we have eight billion. Okay, we're nowhere near sixty-four billion, and they have about the same population, and there's a sixteen hundred bucks. I don't think that when you look at the 
the impact of that payment, it, it, it basically trues up their higher cost of living up there because they have higher expenses, but it doesn't really have any economic impact. And, and it actually, there's some really good studies that show substance abuse, mental health issues when they make that payment. So I don't foresee that North Dakota is going to be real favorable to that. But things like using the income in, in like, I'll give you a great one that I know that I can get 80% of North Dakota to agree to something right now. Watch this. Are you ready for this? This is the easiest idea I've ever, I've ever come up with. So we have the legacy fund. We're going to distribute interest on it, right? Let's just say we distribute last session. I think we did 400 million, 200 million a year. Why don't we take 10% of that and match it to giving hearts day? And so what happens is I give $100 to Giving Hearts Day, Dakota Medical Foundation matches that, and let's have the, the legacy fund match two for one. You know how many, we had 74,000 people in the state give to Giving Hearts. That's 10% of our population. Who would not get behind a trigger where I give my private money to a charity like YWCA, okay, or PATH for foster kids? And the legacy fund takes a tithing amount of 10% of the income and matches it to nonprofits. The impact on that would be startling. That'd be $100 million of direct nonprofit support to, to organizations that are highly efficient. And so that's the kind of thing that they don't think about it. And we got to, you know, like, like that's a no-brainer. Is there is, is that's not going to a nonprofit? But I like matches. I love matches. Is there quite a bit of chatter about how to go after that legacy fund money no, already? No, because yeah, I've yeah, I yeah. see on social media a few of the uh, faux entrepreneurs around Fargo. You know the ones that have been getting government subsidies for ten years that they're <laughs> entrepreneurs. They're already yeah. asking for the legacy money for them and their buddies again. Well, to, I to, think like here'd be one that that might work. Okay, so I've as you know a lot of the kids that come work with us are loaded up with student loan debt, you know, basically right. trillions of dollars. But did you know that as an employer, if I pay a student loan payment, it's taxable income to that, that kid. Okay. The other thing is, what if we said, instead of like, we forgive their student loans or we, you know, like there's this one where, oh, they stay in the state for five years. Okay. That's fine. What if we say, Hey, my company, if we agree to pay up to X amount on a student loan every year, the legacy fund will match up to that amount and it's non-taxable income to that student. That would be a hell of an advantage for somebody to jump across the border and come work up here if their student loans were getting paid, not given, but paid with a skin in the game. You could do that as for every dollar the student pays down, the employer pays one down, the legacy pays one down. Those are like things where everybody has skin in the game. I think the problem in North Dakota is people don't like handouts here. I don't blame them. I don't either. And and I try not to, you know, like judge anybody for it because we all use these programs. I mean, we'd be hypocritical if we said we didn't. But right now it's so unbalanced. There's kind of no benefit for the average working person here. And they've been impacted. Higher utility costs. Why can't we use the rural broadband grant? It's $7 billion. We're going to get about 15 to 20 million. Why don't we go to the PUC and have them do a dollar for dollar just like we do at WSI, a rebate to the, to, to, the, uh, to the customer. So can you imagine in March, you don't have a utility bill in March. That would be direct support to everybody. And that's not going to take money from the legacy fund or from the legislature. That's just a good use of no, this money that's coming out. No, I, I'm with you on that, totally. That, that, is a, that is the first 
decent idea I've heard in about a year. Uh, you know, oh, well, six months. You. We'll talk it. I you know, whatever. Well, no, and and I'll tell you what. I'll be honest because we we've been trying to a few of us, you know, uh, been trying to come up with some different conversations that need to be had. They need to be had because whatever is going on is not working. It hasn't worked for 20 years, and they're continuing to try harder and ram. They're giving the same money to the same people and expecting different results, okay? And I know it's not Albert Einstein who said it, but somebody said it and said that's the definition of insanity, okay? So we keep doing this. Another conversation is, is I haven't heard one direct payment to anybody who's got a kid that they're homeschooling because well, but that's that's where the hold on though that's where this care this cares to act they, they have a homeschooler provision in there but i'm talking so, about a distance learning or whatever the case might be because there's you know there's there's parents out there that have had to hire daycare or family members have had to have had to adjust their lifestyles and etc and you know i'm not trying to pick on the lunch lady and i'm not trying to pick on the yeah. office secretary but they're getting paid they're getting paid. So there's a lot of executives that work for corporate America and a lot of government employees that have literally had a year off. And two of my neighbors are politicians and they went door to door campaigning. And they said that you'd be amazed at how many people said it's like we're on vacation. When yeah. they would, and, and you know, as well as I do, people are saying that that are getting the guaranteed checks and the people who are getting the guaranteed checks are going out and saying we're all in this together and blah, 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 and this and that. And now there's another round of money that's going to go to the same people again. So there's a lot of people very concerned about what's going to happen. So, you know, it's, it's people like you that are going through this and taking a look at it and getting people information so they can prepare. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's done and it's happening. Well, so we got to prepare. Just, it's, kind of, it's kind of human nature, right? Oh, I totally. Mean, sort of like, you, you know, the lowest common denominator of expectation is sort of like what a lot of people live up to. It's, well, and know, remember, it, it's, governments, government's role is the centralized power. That's their role. That's, that's what they do it's, it, because it's the most efficient thing to do. So anyway, go on. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> I, I stayed out of that, that side of it. Um, you know, uh, one of the things that, you're, that you, you got to get a little nervous about is setting precedents, right? So these, um, you know, sort of like when a program gets enacted, it's impossible to take it back. And I think one of the concerns that I've heard from policymakers uh, locally and regionally, uh, not so much nationally because I don't really have those conversations, but is that we've set some precedents now that sort of have opened Pandora's box. Like, well, we had COVID and it worked just fine. And I mean, we didn't bankrupt the government. And like, that was all just a, a ruse not to, uh, you know, cover everybody's health care or everybody's education. And so it's, it's, you know, it kind of, it, that, that makes me nervous because there is no free lunch. It, you know, somebody, somebody has to pay for it eventually. And so I think that would be a, a broader concern of if we have nobody working, then like, how am I getting my groceries? You know, like, you know, like it's, it's, it's goofy. I mean, this, the times are really goofy. And um, they are. And, you know, people talk about the new normal and all this other stuff. This is the new normal, at least it is for a while, because, it, you know, we're if you and I were talking off the air about whether there's going to be a second wave or not or whether we got the herd immunity that's happened. And, you know, those are all questions that we don't know. But what we do know is every day there's a new story about a new strain in Europe or a new strain in Uganda or something. 
And and we're literally just one or two days away from somebody saying, okay, shut down for 30 days. And you know this, in business, that's really hard to prepare for. It's really hard to prepare for that. So well, it's, uh, I, think, anyway. I think one of the macro trends, and I, I think they, they really need to, you know, nobody really, there's a lot of centralized power in Bismarck just because we have so many um, entrenched state, you know, kind of like interests. And it's a little different in South Dakota in Pierre. Um, you know, we have a lot less employee, uh, a lot less employees in South Dakota than North Dakota. I brought that up in the past. We have, they have a lot more people there. I mean, they have 150,000 more people and they have like 20% less employees. Um, one of the things that is really clear to me as a business guy, having people work on a hybrid, they work remotely and they come in the office twice a week, or they're more efficient because these applications have become more efficient. There doesn't take as many people to do the work. I'm, I'm just wondering if, if one of the things people are not wanting to talk about in state government is, do we really need these people at this point? Um, you know, that mainframe issue, uh, you know, how many people, when we upgrade that to Microsoft, you know, like uh, state workman's comp software, do we need? And, and, you know, I've said this for a while. I mean, if you eliminated the North Dakota income tax and everybody makes under the median 67,000, cost the state $65 million, but you'd have a hundred thousand people. You don't have to like collect their taxes. Well, that's going to put some tax collectors out of work in the state, but it's a throwaway dollar amount and it would help a lot of people. And you don't think about it this way, but I have to track that as an employer. I have accountants that have to track that there's filings we have to do. Uh, there's a whole industry around that. Right. So I just don't understand why, like, the grocery store lady that makes 11 bucks an hour pay, pays a dollar of North Dakota income tax. It's like $28. It makes zero sense to me. Why don't we just throw that away up to, you know, up to 50,000 or 75, like they did on, you know, on, on the direct payments, it would not impact the state budget at all. Do you got, did you got they get the 65 million back in sales tax anyway? Do you got time for a quick pot stirrer question? Because I think it's, I, I got an answer to your question. Sure. So you don't have to answer this. This is, you know, this is kind of speculation and this is a little bit political, but there is some news here. So, you know, we, we can, you know, we could actually break some news right now that no one will report, <laughs> which is. <laughs> yeah, we're in our living rooms in our, in our undies. Okay, let's, let's break the news. <laughs> so you said you, you know, you've read quite a bit of that, that proposal and that sort of thing. Now I, I've heard that there's, there's certain provisions that you can get, Almost like, uh, I don't know if it's write-off money or, you know, kind of uh, forgave money to, you know, the, like the Bank of North Dakota and, and, and that sort of thing. Did you see anything along those lines that would lead you to believe that you know what I'm talking about? Now, are you talking about like the one where... Exemption. Know, they, that, Exemption. That's the word. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so what happened is because we're the only state, uh, we're the only state-owned bank in the country, we're, we're a unicorn and we're unique that all state money that is collected goes through the Bank of North Dakota, including the federal dollars. So what they had to do, I'm assuming, I'm not for sure, but this would make logical sense, is that Hoven and Kramer probably went to Mnuchin and said, look, we need an exemption that the Bank of North Dakota is going to distribute those funds because we don't, we're not like every other state. By state law, we have to put the money through there. And in every other state, those monies had to be used for grants. What the exemption would be, and the way I understand it, and I might be dead wrong, and Eric Hardmeyer might be outside of my door with a shotgun here pretty quick, but it's 
that they, they had the ability to lend that money as support. So, yes, they were providing COVID relief, but when that money gets repaid, it's no longer a grant. It's equity in the bank of North Dakota. So, to me, the, the, that means the money didn't quite go to my company as a grant. I don't want it as a grant, but I have to repay it, and it's a low interest rate, 1%. But the Bank of North Dakota became the largest COVID recipient of any entity. See now, okay, that makes more sense. I got this email that I didn't. I, I, but these companies have to repay the loan, right? That that was basically the gist of the email that I was trying to see, which was okay. The Bank of North Dakota got all this money, and then yet the businesses have to borrow from there. But because they're a state bank, technically they can get a okay. they can get it forgiven or get an exemption no, or for whatever. No, no, no. So what happened there is they took a portion of the profits of the bank as as a flex buy down, which they do it they do every day. They have programs for flex pace, okay? But what they what they allocated was a portion of that to do the buy down. They required over fifty thousand dollars of participation from the local banks. The reason for that is that provided the additional capital that they needed and they levered up about a $2 billion facility. That's like some of the biggest economic stimulus that hit the state that nobody even reported. And it has nothing to do with grants or giveaways. It's just that North Dakota companies had a unique opportunity to receive very favorable credit terms. And, and, and there were a lot of uh, little companies that did, and it was a good program, but the reality of it is it's not like those companies got a PPP, grants they're going to have to pay the money back but i don't know that mnuchin i mean he's a smart guy but i don't think he really either had the time or somebody over there really figured out that that just doubled almost the size of bank of north dakota's tier one capital that's a big deal i mean you got to realize bank of north dakota is generating about 15 16 17 percent rate of return on their equity if that goes from a billion to two billion over the next 10 years uh you're talking a huge amount of profits in the bank then, and they don't like that either because then people start going, well, why do these guys have all this profit and legislators start saying, Hey, wait a minute. That wasn't the intent of the bank. But at what point do we have enough resources and the businesses aren't even using the resources? I was told basically on one of the programs that they didn't even have enough applications for it. At what point does the taxpayer start to get the money back if it's too much? And if you're you're over remitting as if we're collecting too much, and we we are, we're collecting too much. I, I get the whole formulas, I get the constitutional trust funds, but when you've got four to five billion dollars, even in a bad economy, going into these sequestered funds off balance sheet, building balance that gen, generates income at some point or risk in another, like you know, common school trust fund. Take a look at the annual report; they lost eight hundred million dollars in the stock market. Do you think that got reported? That's more money than they've ever given away in the common school trust fund they lost last year in the stock market. And so I'm just saying you have all-time record highs. You probably have the most amount of risk we've ever had for this $30 billion. And we have a, a mindset here of investment. We don't have a mindset of that's not our money. And so North Dakota does run as a corporation. We own 10 different entities that are really corporations. We can't, by state law, give money to an individual, but we can to a corporation. Um, so these are... By the way, I... We have no fourth estate anymore. By the way, we have no fourth estate, so there's nobody going to hold them accountable. 
And when you are a dying media company and you rely on state spending for your marketing budgets, you're not going to be reporting any of this stuff. And most of the, yeah, most of the media. I just said a lot. That was a lot to unpack. Yeah, and I, I, that's why I wanted to circle back because I'm taking my notes here as I'm, you know, trying to figure out. I'm not, I'm not taking things. a position on this stuff. I'm just saying this is what it is. Well, and you brought up a good point, which is, you know, by by clarifying what my question was trying to be, which is that it's more on the equity side of things is what you're talking about. And I, I get that. And I never even thought of that from the PPP standpoint originally, which is if that money funneled through the banks and then they did it as a loan, well, of course, that increased their equity. Oh, no, it was it was three times better for the banks than you think. You want to know why, right? Oh, my, I know. Exactly. That didn't even occur to me. What no, no, I mean. Hold on. No, I'm going to tell you something nobody nobody's ever said. I'm going to say something that nobody ever talks about. I'm going to tell you something that nobody wants to, like, they really don't want you to hear this. Okay, so when the PPP came out, there was between a 1% origination and 3.5% origination with no risk, just like a student loan lender would have if they did a federally backed student loan, right? There was some questions originally about, uh, is there going to be clawbacks? And now that has been absolutely clarified in the new legislation, there's no clawbacks. North Dakota banks lent in North Dakota. This is what you're not going to hear. In North Dakota, they did $1.7 billion, $1.8 billion of PPP. But what they don't tell you is in Arizona and Minnesota and all these other states, they did another billion dollars to those guys. Now, what you don't realize is when you looked at the statistics and you're like, well, why did North Dakota originate the most PPP loans? They're like, how is that even possible? Because before Wells Fargo and Chase and Bank of America could access the federal funds when they changed and the Fed said, hey, we'll buy the paper off your books, Eric Hardmeyer had already been buying all of the paper off the North Dakota books. He knew that they were federally guaranteed. He had the liquidity to pull that off. So what happened is they kept refreshing their, their tier one capital and they kept getting fees. So North Dakota banks generated almost $400 million of profit. Now, what happens is that's fantastic because we ain't going to have any bank failures in North Dakota, thank God. But here's the next thing. Where do you think all that extra money went? It went into the treasury and the, and, and the accounts of the banks. Banks now have more money to lend out. Some of that went into certificates of deposit because people were borrowing at 1% interest from the state of North Dakota, effectively the federal government, and buying CDs at 1.5% and arbitraging the federal funds uh, to to the North Dakota interest rate, and that money's sitting as equity now. And if you pull, pull their call reports, they, all of them they spiked up in the amount of capital on the balance sheets of our banks. I mean, that was like one of the biggest impacts that nobody understands. Unbelievable. I mean, I'm just I, I'm I'm kicking I'm my like, hey, oh, I'm not. kicking myself for not not even seeing the bigger picture when I thought I was seeing the bigger picture. Now, the bankers, when you sit down with them, they're like, oh, no, no, that's, that's not that. This was so much work for us. And I'm like, how many loans do you process? And one guy goes, well, 500. And I'm like, oh, I can. I have a calculator. It's like $23 million of profit for the bank in 60 days. That's more than you guys made last year. Well, it's not exactly how it works. We had to add more staff. No, yeah, no, you can't even convince me. If Just say thank you. That was awesome. 
best program ever. We have a mini Federal Reserve in North Dakota called the Bank of North Dakota. Fantastic. We're the only state in the country that has that. So we're providing liquidity in front of the Federal Reserve? Are you kidding me? That's unbelievable. That never gets reported. Well, we have an open format here in the Crude Life to talk about this stuff, so we appreciate you coming on to talk about it because I, I, I at least I'm happy because I learned something today, which was I didn't realize that the banks made out even more than what I even thought they made out because they just increased their equity beyond belief by, and the by other doing thing this. If they had trouble loans, they so, they helped those companies access those funds and they cured up any of their trouble loans. So all of their questionable loan uh, reserves. Oh, that was the big problem from the get-go was that the bankers actually worked a weekend. They actually, because the, the, no, the, no, the no, PPP they, they stuff happened on a Friday, and then the bankers called all their biggest their biggest debt holders over the weekend and got it taken care of. Well, it really shored up those companies. I mean, I'm, I, look, I, I took money. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be guilty as charged. I mean, it, I pay, you know, I, I used all of it for payroll. I, I kept three people on staff I didn't have to. But more than anything was when we were running into rough times in, in the oil patch and in, in coal country, this stuff helped people stay employed. I mean, so don't get me wrong. This helped. I'm not saying this was a bad thing. It was a great thing for companies. It was a great thing for the banks. It was a fantastic thing for the state of North Dakota. But was it really a great deal for um, the grocery store worker or the guy that works at Casey or a tenant that works in a nursing home? I just don't know. And it doesn't feel like it was to me. Well, sir, what's next for you? As I kind of wrap up, looking at the time here, what should uh, people uh, know about well, you, I, I guess? Well, I think you and I are going to, you know, this new year, we've kind of made a commitment to do a, a little bit more uh, program together. I, I love coming on and talking with you. I'm going to try to, if I have time, I'm going to try to do some segments uh, kind of explaining how some of these mechanisms work in the state without boring everybody too much but there's some fascinating aspects to this that are just flat out interesting and i think a lot of the information's out there just never really been organized and that's you know i think one of the thing is people do have a lot of time they're at home uh they've run out of content on netflix so you know maybe we we create some educational things that are maybe a little funny and and keep it a little bit lighthearted, non-political but it's um you know it, it really is the people's you know, it's the people's money. It's the people's state. It's our, it's our lives. You know, so it's it matters. And um, I, I appreciate what you're doing. You've kept a voice open here uh, in very very difficult times. Um, and so I, and I, you know, I'll support coming on anytime. And you know, I, I'm just a private citizen like everybody else.